Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Sometimes it's easy to just focus on the word autism, but let's have our conversation today focus on passions and uniqueness. Let's talk about setting goals for the individual and expectation of your child having a happy, fulfilling, and meaningful life. Today's guest is Donita Shively. She's a passionate BCBA and clinical director for Autism and Behavior Concepts, an organization that provides clinic and home-based services to children and adults with autism. She has a vast amount of knowledge and experience from her years and working closely with autism families. Thanks for joining us today, Donita. I want you to just let everybody know what you're doing and all of the experience that you've had. Okay, sure. Perfect. Um, I've been working with children and adults with autism for over 20 years now. So primarily I've worked with young kids and early interventions, but I also have some experience at working with adults and group homes and helping individuals with job skills as well. So I'm very passionate about how do we start kids early so that they can have a very successful life. That's right. And you've probably seen a lot of kiddos when they started early and then saw them progress as they as they got older. You've probably been with them through those different stages. Yes, yes, I have. Um, I have a couple clients I keep in contact with or their families with that are in their 20s now. Um, some of them have really excellent jobs and email me from time to time and tell me how wonderful they're doing. And it's really just so exciting to see that progress and see them become their own people, you know, their own individuals with passions and excitement for their job and their friends. And I just love being able to do that. That's awesome. You get so much fulfillment from that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I love hearing from the families that I worked with 10, 20 years ago to see where they're at. And it's it's just been amazing because when you meet a child at two and they're nonverbal and have very limited skills, you you don't know what to expect from them. And Mm -hmm. and to hear that they went on to go to college or to have a job is just so amazing and fulfilling. Gosh, that's awesome. Kind of going back to the the early stages, Mm -hmm. the detection of the autism diagnosis and intervention. I think it's so daunting for any parent or caregiver to be kind of entering into this world. (laughs) Um, I know that I've gone through it and you're just inundated with information and things like that. Can you talk about the early detection process and the, the intervention that takes place with children? Yeah, absolutely. I I can't imagine as a parent how scary it is when you start to recognize that your child's not developing in the way that you want or that you would expect. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I want to say to parents is if you have a concern, do not give up. If you go to the pediatrician, they say things are fine, and in your heart, you know they're not, go find someone else. Push for that because the biggest and most important thing that we know about autism is that early intervention piece. Um, Looking at... Do they need speech, OT, applied behavior analysis is um, the most research-based intervention for children with autism. Not every child necessarily needs that or needs the intensity, but look into it. Find out what resources you have and what insurance will cover and push for your child to get exactly what you think they need. Uh, what I encourage parents to do is you know, find your local um, 
families with autism group um, mm-hmm. and start talking to the other families, get a list of resources and start talking to speech and OT, contact your local school district. So a new diagnosed parent has a lot of work to do and mm-hmm. I won't tell you that you don't. Um, <laughs> but find that community of families like you have with this podcast and find a professional or two that's going to stand by you with that child and help you figure out what resources because as Autism grows to one in 62 people in the U.S. There's just so much, um, and, and you're going to have a lot of work to do. I wish I could tell you it's easy. It's not. Um, we, of course, as a BCBA, are advocate for applied behavior analysis, um, so looking at what providers in the area, and go see them because we all approach ABA just a little differently, mm-hmm. and your child may respond to one type of ABA um, and one type of BCBA versus someone else, and so you really want to explore what does my child need right now? Do they need more social? Do they need one-on-one? Do I want them to come in the home? So those are questions that you should start thinking about asking providers and find somebody that you connect with. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great points. I know when uh, Alex received his diagnosis at the age of two and a half, you know, with all of the information and stuff, and I had to fight for the diagnosis, you know, at first, you know, when I went in and brought him for the two-year pediatric appointment, and you're checking off the little boxes of the milestone boxes and things like that, we had a pediatrician that really wasn't as knowledgeable about autism, and it was, you know, she was very quick to dismiss autism and said, you know, oh, he just has a speech delay. He's just quiet. And I know at that age, sometimes it's hard to necessarily pinpoint that's what it is. But I knew in my gut that something else was wrong. And it really took me six months to get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm just going to start fighting because I knew that something was different. And, um, and we finally did get the diagnosis. And I went into a grieving process that I can't even begin to explain in words. It was a very dark place. And um, I think it's important to let parents know that it's okay you have to allow yourself to grieve just like you grieve anything else because we have all of these goals and expectations you know these dreams that we've had and it's okay if those dreams and those expectations need to be revised exactly and I think the other thing that I say to parents that are early is I try to bring them back to when you have a child and they're young when you have child is born, you really don't know what they're going to choose in their life. Are they going to go to college? Are they going to choose to get married? Are they going to buy a house? Or are they going to want to live in your basement? Right. Um, and so I really encourage parents to say, you know, grieve and, and understand that this isn't what you expected. And I, I value that. And you need to do that because families that don't do it much later and that that's really hard on them. Um, so I encourage that. But then let's come back around to what are our goals and how do we help our child be successful so that they can be happy and teach them, give them as many opportunities to learn the skills that are required in day-to-day life. Um, And coming back to that and realizing that your child can be happy and healthy Mm -hmm. and be able to have choices in life um, and and really encouraging them to do that and start in that direction when they're two or three, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's done wonders for Alex, for sure. I will sing the praises of his therapy programs all day because I've seen just phenomenal progress in him. And he is so happy now. You know, something that we're entering into now is Alex going to kindergarten. 
And that is daunting. And I honestly probably believe that it is going to be harder for me than him. Um, Absolutely. But it's going to do great. Well, I do think so. Can you talk about what that transition is like, what we should be pushing for our child, how we should be advocating for our child? Sure. Uh, Transition to public school is definitely a difficult one. And one of the things that we say to parents that we need to keep in mind is that education is free and appropriate, not free and exactly what you want. So you have to come to the drawing board with reasonable expectations. Uh, I think that one of the things we kind of get off on is focusing heavy on the academic piece of school, but school is so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And it's socialization, it's learning to follow directions, and what do you do on recess, and what do you do in lunch, um, and really focus on those areas as well. So what I encourage families to do is identify what are the deficits that keep my child from being successful in school. Can they get themselves dressed? Are they toilet trained? Can they wash their own hands? Do they sit for lunch? How do I, if they can't, how do we get those goals put in the IEP? And then Mm -hmm. we start talking about academics because I'm very heavy in if you can't get yourself dressed and you don't know how to respond socially when people say hello to you, you're not going to get to the academic piece. Um, The other, looking at some of the behavior supports, does my child have problem behavior that's going to impede on them being successful in the classroom Mm -hmm. and asking for some of those things. Um, What I recommend parents do when I go to an IEP as an advocate is I sort of ask for more than I know I'm going to get so that we can meet in the middle. So ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. They have to work to provide you with what your child needs. And if three months into the school year, you don't feel like you're getting what you need, go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't be afraid to send your child to school. School is real life, and we want our kids to go to school um, and have that opportunity to make friends and work with different teachers and go to gym class. Those are all really important milestones and so it's scary um, and I go back to find an advocate or find a professional to go with you to the mm-hmm. IEP um, to tell you the laws because unfortunately they're not always followed so understanding um, your rights as a parent and the laws under IDEA and having someone there to point you in that direction. Yeah sure. And, to, and bring you back down when you know sometimes what we want had to happen in school just isn't feasible for the school district that you're in so somebody who can tell you yes this is something you can ask for and I don't really think we're going to be able to get this because again they're going to give them appropriate education not exactly what you would envision for your child yeah absolutely um someone once told me um and our IEP process was was pretty Good. I mean, I I have no no problems. Of course, we haven't started it yet. But someone said to me, you know, don't go in with boxing gloves. Go in and and I I made it a point to thank everyone in the room for what they do, um, mm-hmm. and for being there just to hear my voice and for trying to understand our needs and our desires and I felt like that just immediately released all the tension from the room and Mm -hmm. we all walked out just smiling you know like we were shaking hands and it was a good good process what's some of your advice that you give parents when they're going into the IEP meeting Exactly that. I think going in and explaining that we're all here to help this child that we're here for. And when I go in and when I go with the parent, I'm here to share information that I know about my child and I want your expertise to help me. So really 
reinforcing them for what they know. How can the special education teacher help you with creating goals for your child? And how can they help you with the problem behavior you're seeing? So turning it over to them and saying, you know, we see these things at home and we're really excited for your input on how we can help my child exceed in these goals. Um, that is a really great way to get them on board and not be defensive. You really want to try to avoid coming in and saying, I demand all these things uh, mm-hmm. because you're going to get a lot of kickback. And we have to remember that the school district and the teachers are there because they want to help your child. They're not the bad guy. Um, and sometimes schools get that you know, reputation of not wanting to be helpful, but I've never sure. been to a meeting where I felt like we weren't all there for the child. Um, we might speak a different language, but we're all here with the same goal in mind. So I think really highlighting how they can help your child and that you're all on a team. Right. And so the, you know, the public school, free and appropriate, not free Mm -hmm. and exactly what you want. How do you find a placement like that, you know, when you understand that your child is an individual, how do you relay that so you can let them know, okay, these are my child's passions. I want them to succeed in life. How does that roll over into the school setting? Sure. Uh, It can be tricky because, right, your child's not the only child that they have in the classroom. Um, But I've had a lot of parents come in and they bring some examples of what their child does that's unique to them. My child's an artist and this is something he's really great at. And or my child really likes to be helpful. What are some jobs that he can have? You know, can he help with attendance or can he pass out papers? Um, Mm -hmm. Really highlighting those things and then discussing what you really want for your child. So if they start talking um, about math and your goals, you say, you know, I I really think you guys have a nice handle on math and I don't really have concerns about math. Um, I want him to be successful in making friends on the playground. Um, He really likes new people but doesn't have those skills um, and Mm -hmm. really trying to highlight for them what your goals are and and by doing that showing what their deficits are if that makes sense so by you saying I really would you know my child's very interested in peers but doesn't know how to do it what you're really saying is help me write goals for Mm -hmm. their deficits but you're also highlighting what's passionate for your child Um, especially if you're going to be able to get an aid I think it's very important that they get to know your child and maybe have an opportunity to meet I've had a lot of success with schools letting us bring the child in before all the kids are there Um, and then the teacher gets an opportunity to see the uniqueness of your child and maybe modify some things before the school year starts so that's another Mm -hmm. really great way uh, for them to know a little bit more about your child and not have 26 other kids to compete with sure oh that's awesome and so as you know as they get older and I've mm-hmm. interviewed a couple of guests that are going into the teenage years which are just crazy anyway um, we all cry for random <laughs> things you know we have no idea why when it comes to teenaging with autism teenagers are constantly trying to identify like who they are can you kind of go into what's some of your advice for continuing to set goals for your teenager sure and just what you said being a teenager is hard I don't think I've met anybody that says middle school was my favorite time it was awesome (laughs) it's really difficult right because when you become an adolescent social skills change so 
in early intervention, and we're working with young kids, we're working on play skills, and how do you play with this set of farm animals, and how do you approach a friend, and then you turn 13, and all of the rules change, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wants to speak to you that way, you walk in the hallway, and you're really not supposed to talk to each other, and everybody's texting, and on Facebook, um, and so we have to really shift what we're teaching in social skills, we have to think about, okay, what does, again, what's my child's passion? They want to make friends. Well, how can I give them a social media outlet that's safe, that they can make friends and communicate with people? Because if they don't know how to do that, they're going to be left behind. How do they text? Right? Mm-hmm. If your child at 13 doesn't know how to text, they're not going to make a lot of friends. Um, and then mm-hmm. starting to think about in adolescence, what what does your child really like to do and how do we start developing maybe some hobbies and job skills? Um, so I've worked with clients before that really like um, the Japanese cartoon and we started talking about making scrapbooking and doing some of the dress up and cosplay because that's really a thing for people that are into the Japanese cartoons because that was a hobby and then we started to teach how to make friends that way you know you can find friends that like that you know cosplay and you guys can talk about that and this is what we talk about with our friends that like that because as we become adolescents we start to identify a little bit of who we are and it's funny that you say my autism tribe because I always explain it as then you find your tribe of people right yeah outside of being a BCBA I practice yoga and so most of my friends are people that practice yoga and hang out at parks on the weekends and read books sure those are my tribe and so as an adolescent I started to develop skills in that direction and if I make friends with somebody who likes cosplay I don't have a lot to talk about um and so we need to figure out what hobbies are they going to have because that's an important part of successful life and then what job skills or um academic skills do they like so you know if they're into computers are there things that we could work on teaching um and computer skills if they're into art how do we really reinforce that behavior so that they can become a successful artist um you know i think that it's important for us not to focus so much college is important right and we all want our kids to go to college but you can be successful and happy and not go to college and that's for anyone Mm -hmm. Um, so really figuring out you know how do we teach them the skills so that they find something they can thrive on because successful adults have a job that they generally like and want to go to right Um, and then the other side of that adolescence is going back to those independent skills by the time you're 13 you want to be able to get yourself dressed make a snack use a phone um, know your address and phone number and I believe every child can learn those skills we might need to support them a little more but it's going to be extremely difficult to make friends if you don't have good hygiene so you know learning how to wear deodorant and all of those things are just yeah. The new skills that, you know, you taught your kid when they were four or five how to brush their teeth and take a bath, and now they're 13, and we have to start talking about how to shower and shave. And yeah. you're like, whoa, <laughs> I have to do this all over again. But if you want them to be happy and successful, we have to meet some of those social norms, um, which I talk to parents a lot about. That we'll talk about something that the child does that's unique or different. And I we talk about when is it appropriate. So when is it appropriate to talk about cosplay? versus when is it not appropriate sure um and so adolescents are all those things teaching the appropriate social skills of when and where hobbies job skills and independence 
Which is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. You do a lot of early intervention, then you think you're cruising, and then 13 hits, and all new new things. But that's for everybody, right? Everybody that has a 13 or 14-year-old that I talk to says, I don't always like my child because 13 or 14 is tough for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you just, um, you you knocked me off my chair when you started talking about shaving. I was like, oh my God. That's something I honestly, I, I feel kind of silly about I've not thought about Alex shaving and my gosh yep he's gonna have to shave someday so yeah well yeah, maybe the hipsters will still be in and he can have a beard <laughs> and not to worry about it exactly exactly fingers crossed on that yeah so yeah. when they um so after they they start shaving um <laughs> you know they uh I I remember of course I grew up in a household with all sisters and stuff but I remember yeah. many of my guy friends who are starting to shave and stuff and it's like when you start shaving you're a man you know (laughs) and um so yeah so you think there's a lot that you don't know so you start as a parent you start reassessing kind of when they're in that teenage adolescent time okay what are the goals what are the barriers that it's going to have them be successful just in life and then as they transition into adulthood, that's a whole other big transition that mm-hmm. I hear a lot of parents being very worried about. Um, how long am I going to live so that I can provide for my child if need be? Can you explain that transition and kind of what some of the questions are that one you know, parent or caregiver can ask themselves? Sure. So I'm glad you brought me back to that. Really in your adolescent time, you need to start thinking about that, asking yourself what skills does my child have to be successful and live on their own? And if they can't, where are they going to go? So you start looking at resources in the state that you live in. You know, is my child going to need a waiver? And do I anticipate that they're going to need some support? So that could look like they have an independent living situation. They have their own apartment and somebody's hired to come and make sure they have groceries and that they've had a lunch. Um, it could be a group home where there's several individuals that need a little bit of support and it's staffed 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, it could look like they've got their own apartment and, you know, at 20 years old, just like any other 20 year old, they're trying to make it on their own. So I think by the time a child's 15 or 16, you start to understand where they might be when they're becoming an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is you have to figure out who in your family might be able to support your child if you're not there because the reality is they're probably going to outlive you and you don't want to think about that Um, but you don't want to have to think about that when they're 35 you want to start thinking about that when they're 15 if your child's going to need support and again you want that for all your children right disability Mm -hmm. or not you know my parents want to make sure that if they're not around to help me someone else is available to provide support you want to make sure that that's in place Um, so start really looking at the resources in your area. Um, Is there a community support waiver in the area that I live in? Am I on the list? Because if I'm not, I need to get on the list. Um, Because if you're not there to take care of a child, or even simple things like your child is now 20 and they don't want to hang out with you all the time, Mm -hmm. um, having someone to go out with them. Um, But the reality is you probably don't want your child living in your house forever, right? You want them to be somewhere out in the real world um, having companionship and friendships and job skills Um, so you really have to start asking yourself what is that going to look like Um, and how do I get my child there very very early 
in life. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a lot of job programs. Different states are are different in what the needs are. There's sometimes adult workshops and job skill programs. Your school district can help you with that. So as your child reaches 21, they should be talking to you about where is your child going to go next. If mm-hmm. they're not ready to go to college, are they going to go to a sheltered workshop or a job program? Or are you deciding that they're not going to work and what does that look like so your school district can really help you with those resources and you should be asking that um, probably by the time they're 18 but what are we going to do when they're not in school all day because nobody wants to sit at home all day well most of us don't um, we want to have some right. outside activities um, so starting to ask that so ask about waivers ask about what support services are in your area um, and what job placements might be available you know, Dundee, it's something I struggle with, and I'm very early on um, in this journey, but it's sometimes difficult for me. I, of course, I want my son to have a happy and productive life, and he's five going on six, so we've got a while to, you know, make sure that that happens, but a lot of times, I th- I believe that maybe what I feel like would make him happy and productive may not be what he believes makes him happy and productive. And, exactly. you know, it, and it's, it's hard for me to decipher right now what I believe that is. He's young. But how can you, as, as a parent wrap your head around or get to a place where it's like you're just focusing on what makes them happy because I know for me like if Alex says well I I want my own apartment I'm like oh my gosh I don't know if he can have his own apartment you know that's a fear that I have yeah absolutely Um, I think and as far as learning what they're interested in step back and see what they do in a given day so what if Alex were older what does Alex choose to do all day is he on the computer is he outside is he choosing to hang out with his friends and then if he's verbal asking him well why why do you do that why do Mm -hmm. you what do you like about Susie Q that you call every day and what do you guys do when you're together and that'll help you give some ideas because a lot of our kids even at verbal aren't really great at explaining you know what makes them happy you know what makes them happy because you observe them doing it repeatedly Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of adults don't really know how to explain what makes them happy honestly um and then really again going back to those barriers so if your child says to you i want my own apartment sit down with them if they're able to do that and say i hear that you want your own apartment these are the skills that i'm concerned you don't quite have and we can work on them Mm -hmm. and we can start making steps in that direction and how about instead of having your own apartment how about you know, I let you have the basement for a little bit. You show me that you can keep it clean and that you can pay mom rent once a month and it's $25 or something small. Right. And if you're able to do that, then maybe you get to stay a weekend somewhere. And as long as you meet these goals, then we can talk about the next thing. Um, so really breaking it down for them at what are the areas that you're having a hard time with that keep you from doing what you think is going to make you happy and how can I help you get there um, and giving mm-hmm. them a little bit at a time and, and maybe that's not going to be an option for your child that they live on their own but maybe you can find something that's a happy medium that they can feel successful with because I truly believe independence and being given responsibilities makes you happy yeah you, know, you feel better about yourself when you're responsible for things and yeah. you don't have to rely on anybody and so you might have to really break it down and it might be a 
12-year plan to get to your own apartment, but that's okay um, because if, if your child's seeing those smart goals and that they're obtaining them, they're going to feel good about themselves and that's mm-hmm. going to make them happy. And it's important, I have to remind myself a lot of times that I have to place things in Alex's life to see if that's something that will make them, him happy. You know, I know right now, okay, he loves his iPad and he loves animals and dinosaurs and, you know, things like that. But those are the things that have been placed in his life. Just recently, he was playing a, or he was watching my nephew play a video game. And that wasn't something that he had done before. It was always something that he had observed. And I think that there was a fear that he wouldn't be able to do it. And um, even though some parents are like, oh, try to keep my kids off of video games. It was actually something that I was encouraging because I wanted him to be involved with my nephew. And he loves it. He started playing with my nephew and they were having just a great time playing this video game. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So if you can place the computer in front of your child you don't know or they may not know that it's something that they find fulfilling until you give them a chance to figure that out right and that's a wonderful point i think exposure all the way going back to early intervention is a great thing parents say to me all the time well i don't know if he'll like it i don't know if he could do it i'm like well let's not throw him in the pool with no swimmies but let's put our toe in the water um there's but most of the things that kids want to try and want to expose them to, there's no harm. Try soccer camp. If they go for five days and they don't like it, maybe soccer's not for them, and that's okay. Right. Um, so give some exposure because, again, that's how we all learned how to have different hobbies and interests. So I think that's a really great point that you touched on, that get exposing mm-hmm. your child, and that starts early. So a lot of um, kids with autism are afraid of many different things, social situations. Hand blow dryers is a big one in bathrooms. And oh, so yeah then families avoid those things and we want to slowly start exposing because again if your life's so restricted that you've never had you don't even know what makes you happy and you're you're not given the opportunity to try um so we we sometimes forget that you have to expose and try things and that's that's how i've learned you know i like yoga i was so scared to go to my first class for years and then i'm like well i'm just gonna try it and then i loved it yeah Um, so i think that's a really great point really doing some exposure and starting that early and then through adolescence encouraging we're going to go to this group the social teen group we're going to try it for a week and then if you don't like it fine um we're going to try yeah. some things are fine some things are you're going to fold your laundry because we need to learn to fold laundry but right then other, other social skills we're going to try video games we're going to play them for two weeks and then if it's not your jam no worries. We'll find another activity. So I think that's a wonderful point. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you've had a lot of wonderful points and I just can't thank you enough. Donita, you, you've been such a joy to speak with and obviously you have a ton of knowledge in this and I would love to set up some even parent trainings and stuff with you in the future. Um, I know. Yeah. Thanks for being a part of my autism tribe. You're awesome. Absolutely, thank you. Always remember that a parent is a child's best advocate. Parents are ultimately responsible for making sure their child can have a happy and healthy life. By having these expectations, they can set goals to remove barriers that may prevent this from happening. If you're a parent or a caregiver to a loved one on the autism spectrum, 
Set goals for a life that is meaningful to your child and society, and know that autism does not define your child. Let your child define themselves and support them in having the best life they can possibly have. Thanks for joining me today and for being a part of my autism tribe. I'll see you next week.